All right, if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 9 is where we're going to get to. Uh, We're not going to start there, but that's going to be like our anchor text this morning, so I promise you we will get there. Um, As we start, I have a kind of a question for you to think of. Um, Just kind of hold the picture in your mind. What comes to mind when you think of Jesus? Okay, and I mean like, like visual image, picture, not like, you know, some theological concept or doctrine. Like what, what image comes to your mind's eye when you think of Jesus? Okay, got it? Locked in? Final answer? Okay. For some of you, for, for some of you, that image uh, is going to be probably similar to Ricky Bobby. Six pound, eight ounce, tiny baby Jesus in a manger. Okay, I'm going to ask you by a show of hands, you know, who, who that's what comes to mind. But uh, especially this time of the year, like we think of Jesus, the infant, the child born in a manger. Okay, that's good and right. Nothing wrong with that. For some of us, we think maybe like the other end of his life. We think of uh, the, the Jesus of Good Friday and Easter, like the, the, the Jesus nailed to a cross, hanging on the cross. Um, maybe the whole events leading up to his crucifixion, or, or maybe we think, a few days later, we think about the resurrected Jesus and uh, him walking out of the tomb and appearing to the disciples, uh, revealing himself as the risen Savior. Okay, uh, may- maybe your vision of Jesus or your like what comes to your mind's eye is not either one of those things. Maybe it's uh, a little more, a little more westernized. Okay, maybe you think of like some sort of Thomas Kincaid painting of Jesus, right, where he has just immaculate hair. Right, a very well-kept beard, looks very American, despite the fact that he was a Jewish man born in the Middle East, okay? But whatever comes to mind for you, whatever it is, all right, you, you just hang on to that, that's between you and the Lord, whatever comes to mind. Whatever comes to mind to you when you think of Jesus, I'm, I'm willing to bet that it's probably, the first thing that comes to mind is probably not the Jesus of Revelation 19. Okay, now maybe you're hearing like, I don't know what that Jesus is. Well, great, you're about to find out, okay? This is, uh, this is how John paints the picture of Jesus in his return, Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16. I'm going to read the whole chunk. He says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written so that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses." And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All right, so synopsis, mental image. Eyes like a flame of fire a robe dipped in blood, tattoo on his thigh, surrounded by the armies of heaven, 
with a sword to strike down the nations and, and prepared to execute the fullness of God's wrath. Anybody come in here this morning? You're like, that's, that's my Jesus. Right, probably not many of you. I mean, maybe some of you, but probably not many of you, right? Uh, and, and yet, like this, this is the Jesus that we will see and experience when he returns for his second advent. Right? We've been in an advent series, and that word advent just means uh, arrival or, or coming. Okay? And, and all up to this point, we've talked about Jesus' first advent, his first arrival, his first coming, the, the baby born in the manger. But what the Bible is very clear about is that there will be a second coming, a second advent. Okay? And it's going to look very different from uh, a baby in a manger. Okay, and so we're going to spend our time this morning just kind of talking about that, the second coming of Jesus. Okay, and so that brings me to the Hebrew passage I mentioned earlier. Before we jump in, though, I've got to give you a disclaimer. Okay, it's going to either, you're either going to breathe a sigh of relief or you're going to be wildly disappointed. Just lay it out there. Okay? My goal this morning is not to cover a timeline of events or circumstances or to make speculations about the timing of Jesus' second coming. Okay? I know we love that stuff. I know you can make a lot of money writing books about that stuff and convincing people they don't want to be left behind. Okay? But, but listen, the timelines and the events and the circumstances surrounding the second coming of Jesus are a secondary issue at best. Okay? What I mean by that. Let me say what I, that, I'm not saying they're not important. Okay, that's not what I'm saying at all. Okay, it just means that Christians throughout history, right, over the last 2,000 years, Christians have interpreted the Bible differently on matters related to the end times and the timing and the events and the circumstances. Okay, which means, and some of us are going right, to be right, we've nailed it. Some of us are going to be wrong. And yet we're all going to spend eternity, all who have trusted in Jesus are going to spend eternity together with him in heaven because we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross and his resurrection, we're not saved by nailing our interpretation of the end times. Okay? So, again, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying, like, it's, it's secondary. All right? So, I have some thoughts about it. You have some thoughts about it. Maybe we agree, maybe we don't. Okay, we can have a good conversation about it, hopefully with a whole lot of humility and charity. Okay, but we're not having that conversation today. All right, so instead what I want to focus on is what our passage this morning focuses on, and that is what we know for sure with certainty, and that is that Jesus is coming again. Okay, he is returning to set up his rule and reign fully and finally and forever. And because he is coming again, that means something for you and me. Okay, it means something for us. So, now that you are either relieved or disappointed, let's look at Hebrews 9, all right, verses 27, 28. Here's what the author of Hebrew writes. He says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, 
So we're talking about Jesus. So Jesus, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. All right, first thing I want you to see is is something the text makes really clear, is that Jesus' second coming is not to wage war against sin. Right, because as the text says, Jesus has already dealt with sin once and for all. Right, that's the, the book of Hebrews. I mean, amazing book. And there's a recurring theme throughout the book of Hebrews is that Jesus' one-time death, his, his, like his crucifixion, his resurrection, one time, once for all, the all-sufficient payment for all of your sin, past, present, and future, if, if you believe. Like there's... When Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished, he meant it. Okay, There is no, like he's not coming back to tie up loose ends or to deal with unfinished business that he forgot the first time around. Okay, like he's coming back to, he's coming back to, uh, well, let me, let me get to here. I'm jumping ahead. Jesus is not coming back to wage war against sin. He, he Here's what he's coming back for. Look at verse 28 again. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, that's what we just talked about, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, if you are a Christian, at this point, maybe you're like, wait a second. I thought I was saved. Right? I, I mean, I know my Bible. I know what Romans says, that if I confess and I believe, then I'm saved. So, like, what's going on here? Am I saved already, or am I waiting to be saved? And the answer is yes. Okay? <laughs> um, if you have believed... You've repented of your sin. You've trusted in Jesus. You've believed the good news of the gospel. You have been saved from the penalty of your sin. Okay? Like, that means Jesus in his death and resurrection. If you believe that, you've trusted in Jesus. Like, in his death and resurrection, he he paid for, absorbed all of God's wrath toward all of your sin, past, present, future. Okay, the the sin that you don't want anybody to know about in the past, maybe the sin you're struggling with now, the sin when you blow it in the future. Like he's he's already absorbed all of God's wrath for that and if you've believed and trusted in him, like you've been saved from the penalty of sin, okay? Now, if you've truly believed, that will be evidenced in a in a life of ongoing maturity and growth. Your faith should grow and mature the longer you walk with Jesus. That's the process the Bible calls sanctification. Uh, and and that, what that means, like this is present tense, that means you are being saved. Right? As you grow, as you mature, as you, uh, but like you're, you're, in, you're in process. Okay? You are being saved. Okay? So what's happening here in verse 28 is kind of this future tense. Of salvation. So you've, you've been saved from the penalty of sin. Okay? You are in process. You are being saved from the power 
of sin in your life, okay? But one day, right, Jesus will split the skies wide open. He will return to set up his rule fully and finally and forever. And on that day, you will be saved from the presence of sin. Like sin will be no more. Gone. Right? No more temptation. No more sin. No more struggle. No more suffering. Everything that either is a result of sin or an implication of sin, just, just gone. Like gone, gone. Right? That's what Jesus is coming to, to usher in. It's the, the future, it's the fullness of salvation that Jesus is bringing. Okay? But, don't miss this. This salvation is not guaranteed or promised to everyone universally, unconditionally. Now, I know you say things like that and the record stops and people are like, <gasps> what? Wait, hang, hang with me here, right? I'm just, just reading the Bible, okay? Verse, look at verse 28 again. Right? This promise, right? His promise to save is given specifically to those who are eagerly waiting for him. Right? So, so if we're going to experience the fullness of this salvation that Jesus promises, and it's promised to those who are eagerly waiting, gosh, we should probably know what that means. Right? What does it mean to eagerly wait for Jesus, for his coming, okay? So that's what we're going to spend our time together this morning. Like, what, what does that mean, okay? I'm just going to throw it out there. It, it, means, it means more than, it means more than just trying to decipher and decode world events to, to kind of pinpoint Jesus' return. Again, I'm not saying what's going on in the world isn't important to Jesus' return. I think if you see what's going on in the world and you read your Bible, you're like, whoa, there's some, this is interesting, okay? So I'm not saying that that's not important. I'm not saying you shouldn't pay attention to what's going on, but what I am saying is like to be, to eagerly wait for Jesus' return is more than just to try and line everything up so you can figure out when that day is going to come, okay? Because here's what, and the, the Bible that I read says that Jesus in his human form did not know the day of his return. And if Jesus didn't know in his human form the day of his return, I'm pretty sure you don't. Okay? And to claim to know or to listen to someone who claims to know the day that that will return, like that sounds an awful lot like what the New Testament would call a false prophet or a false teacher that you should probably avoid and not listen to. Okay? So, now that we're all uncomfortable, what does it mean to eagerly wait for Jesus? I got two things, two things for us to consider in our time together this morning. Here's the first one. Eagerly waiting for Jesus means longing for his return. Right? Longing for his return. Um, just by way of illustration, uh, when Kelly and I dated uh, the second time around, uh, took me twice to get it right. Uh, when we dated the second time around, we most of our dating relationship and our engagement was long distance. 
Uh, I was in Virginia trying to finish up my master's degree uh, and was working, and Kelly was in Somerset. She was finishing up her degree, uh, and she was working. And, um, and so, like, there would be weeks, sometimes months, where we just did not see each other, right? And, um, and like, I don't think FaceTime was even a thing back then, at least certainly not, like, early on in that. And, and even then, like, phones were lame, and the picture was crappy, and so, like, right, screens just weren't an option. Plus, let's be honest, screens are a lame substitute for the real thing anyways. Okay, that's true in every area of life, including church participation. Okay? I don't have to tell you guys that, though, because you're here in the room. That's for whoever's watching online. Okay? Um, honestly, there's probably like two of them, and one of them is probably my mom. Okay? So, <laughs> so. Anyways, uh, but, but those, like, those trips, like when we... Like when it, like the calendar, it was scheduled, like I was going to go back home to Somerset and see her, or she was going to come to Virginia and see me. Like as that date approached, like there was a certain sort of anticipation and giddiness that I don't know how to put into words. Okay. Like as my driving record would attest, like me and my 94 Ford broke a lot of traffic laws trying to get from Lynchburg, Virginia to Somerset, Kentucky. Okay. Fun fact, did you know anything over 85 in Virginia is reckless driving? Just heads up. <laughs> I would contend I had perfect control of my vehicle. The state of Virginia disagreed. Um, anyways, this is, guys, this is why I preach for 40 plus minutes. I got to quit. But that anticipation, that desire, that longing to like to be with her in her presence, this woman that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, should we not experience that and feel that all the more when it comes to the one we're going to spend eternity with? Right? This sort of like deep anticipation and, and desire and longing to be with, to experience the fullness of Jesus' presence. Like when we, we think about the second coming of Jesus, like we should be, the people of God should be a people who are like, and I cannot wait for that day to get here. And I look forward to that day. I anticipate that day. Like I, I want it to be here now. Like Paul uses the same language of, of eagerly waiting in Romans 8, 22, 23, I don't think it's on the screen. You can write it down. Uh, I'm going to read it for you if you don't have it in front of you. Here, here's what Paul says. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. Right, the, the, the idea here, right, to long for Jesus and his return, to, to groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. It's this kind of like, would you just please get here already? Right? He uses, he uses the, the image of childbirth here. I don't know if you've ever been in the room when a child is born. Uh, there is a certain sense of like, would you just get here? Right? I would say that probably like happens 
well before you even get to the delivery room, right? But that's the point. Like, we should long for, like, desire, anticipate the day when we get to meet Jesus face to face. It's like a more sanctified version of your kids in the back seat on a trip, right? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Like, we, we traveled a lot over this Christmas break. We would get, like, like, we went to Nashville on Thursday. I think we made it to Glendale before our kids were like, are we almost there? <laughs> like, this is kind of what the, this is kind of what we're talking about, this longing to experience the fullness of Jesus' presence. Okay? And what I really want you to see is that this is a far cry, a far cry from the sort of casual, nominal, indifferent Christianity that seems to plague the church and, and much of Christian culture today. Okay, it's the kind of Christianity that is like, yeah, I long and desire for Jesus so long as he doesn't like inconvenience me and interfere with my plans. Like, we're not talking about the same things here. In fact, here's what one author says about uh, this kind of Christianity. He says, there is a phony faith that once escaped from hell, but has no desire for Christ. And that kind of faith does not save. It does not produce an eager expectation for Christ to come. In fact, it would rather that Christ not come for as long as possible so that it can have as much of this world as possible. So I read that this week and I was like, dang, right? Like that hits pretty hard. And yet, I, like I think that's exactly the kind of word that we need if we're going to become, grow into, increasingly be the kind of people who are eagerly waiting for Jesus to come. Right? anticipating, desiring, longing for him to show up. Okay? And this, this kind of longing is evidenced. It's evidenced not just in how you feel. Okay? So there isn't a, a subjective element to you, right? Anticipation, desire, um, longing, those are kind of subjective things that we feel. Right? And, and this, this longing for Jesus is evidenced not just in how we feel, but also in how we live. Okay, so there's not just a subjective side to it. There's also an objective side to it. Okay, and that leads me to second thing this morning. So the first one was eagerly waiting for Jesus means longing for his return. The second one, eagerly waiting for Jesus means living for his return. Living for his return. This is what Peter writes in his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, he writes this about this day that Jesus is going to return. He says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, 
waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So according to Peter, this this day of the Lord is going to come, and it's going to come unannounced. And because it's unannounced, the best thing that you and I can do as we wait for that day, the best thing that you and I can do as as we prepare ourselves and get ready for that day is to diligently pursue lives of holiness and godliness. In other words, what I want you to see is is this eagerly waiting. It's active. It's not passive. We talk about eagerly waiting for the coming day of the Lord. It's, it's, It's far more than just kind of sitting idly by and waiting for the next like watching the news and reading the internet and waiting for the next shoe of biblical prophecy to drop. I'm not saying that's not important. I'm just saying it's far more than that. It's it's active. It's living for his return. It's immersing yourself in his word. To, To know what the Lord requires of you. It's... It's striving to walk in obedience to the Lord as he has revealed himself in this word. Right? It's, it's learning, what, what does the Lord command of me? And I'm going to walk in obedience for that because one day he's going to split the skies open and I want to be ready for it. I don't want to be found unfaithful. Right? It's, it's striving to walk in obedience. And when you fail to do that, and you will, when you fail to walk in obedience. It's being diligent to confess and repent, to return to God's good, perfect plan for your life as revealed through his word. Right, to, to live for his return, it's, it's loving what Jesus loves and gave his life for. The church. Right, it's the church. It's committing yourself to a community of imperfect men and women just like you, who are like with their own sin and their own struggles, trying to pursue lives of holiness and godliness, and it's you committing yourself to them people and say, like, hey, let's figure this thing out together. Right? It's, and it's not, only, it's not only committing yourself to the church, it's joining in the mission that Jesus gave the church. Right? To live for Jesus' return is to join the mission that Jesus gave, to, to pummel the gates of hell. Like that's what he's given to the church. Right? Matthew 16, Jesus says, Hey, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates are a defensive mechanism. You know that, right? Like gates are meant to keep, keep stuff out. The mission that Jesus gave to the church was to pummel the gates of hell by making disciples, making Jesus' name known, advancing his kingdom in the places you live and work and play. Right? That's what it means to eagerly wait, to live for Jesus' return. Right? It, is, it is so much more than just a passive sort of looking around, watching the sky. It's kind of like, well, look, come here someday. Gosh, it's so much more than that. It's what a lame existence that is, <laughs> to just sit and watch and, and not get in the game, right? to just sit from the sidelines and be like, that looks fun. I'll just sit here and wait. And so here's what I'm going to, um, as I've studied this week, one of the things that my mind came back to over and over and over again, I don't have time for it. 
because you guys know how I am. But the parable of the talents. All right, Matthew 25. Um, part of the Olivet Discourse, this is where Jesus is sort of, it's this extended teaching on uh, things that are going down at the end times. Okay, and he, he shares this parable of, uh, it's called the parable of the talents. That's what it says in the heading of my Bible. It may say something similar in yours, maybe different, but he, he shares this story. And in the story, there's a master who's leaving, and he entrusts three of his servants with his property. He right? gets just huge sums of money and says, here, I'm leaving. Okay, splits town. You got three servants. The first two take that. They invest it. They work. They're active. But the third servant says, you know what? I'm just going to bury this and sit on it. I ain't doing nothing. Well, one day the master returns. And at the risk of a spoiler alert, listen, at this point, this was written like thousands of years ago. If you haven't read it, that's, that's on you. So spoiler alert. Things do not go well for the third servant. The one who sits on his hands and is like, I'm just going to wait here for you to come back. I ain't, I ain't doing nothing. And so to kind of prepare for, for landing here, let me, let me draw your attention back where we began. Revelation 19. Look at verse 11. John says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. That's a powerful image, right? That, that Christ is going to return. Again, we talked about all that that means. Like he's looking like a dude when he comes back, and he's, so he's going to return in righteousness to judge, to make war. Like we love that. It makes us feel good to know that we're on the, the winning team, right? If you watched Georgia last night, kind of how that went, right? Okay, nobody watched Georgia last night? All right, I get it. Right, but before we kind of get on our high horses, the, concerning this judgment, right? Jesus is going to return and he's going to make judgment. This is what Peter says, 1 Peter 4, verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. So yes, Jesus is going to return to judge and to make war and to usher in the fullness of his kingdom, the fullness of salvation. But, but according to Peter, that judgment is not going to begin with everything that's going wrong out there. Right? When Jesus shows up, his first order of business is not going to be to look around and be like, I'm going to go get him. No, he's, he's coming for his bride. For us. So judgment begins at the household of God among the people of God. Which means we, we should be serious about asking ourselves, are we the kind of people who are eagerly waiting for Jesus' return? In fact, that's kind of my, my question to you this morning as we kind of move towards response is are you eagerly waiting for Jesus to return? Are you, like we talked about, are you longing for his return? Do you look forward to it with this sense of anticipation and gladness 
and desire, right? Or, or are you kind of like the quote you read? Are you just kind of hanging on to a false hope of a get out of hell free card with zero desire to experience the presence of Jesus? Are you longing for his return? And then the second, are, are you living for his return? Is your life marked by increasing holiness and godliness that Peter writes about? Are you striving for greater obedience to the word, to his commands? And, and, and when you become aware that, that you have lived outside of those commands, outside of the good boundaries he's placed in your life, are you quick to confess and repent? Right? Have you committed yourself to the very thing that, that Jesus gave his life for, the church? Right? Are, you, are you committed to a community of imperfect men and women who are striving together to live lives of holiness and godliness? Right? Are, you, are you participating in the mission of the church? Are you actively punching Satan in the face by trying to make Jesus known in the places you live, work, and play? Right? Are, or are you just more inclined to be like, mm, that seems extreme. I'll just sit here and wait. Right? Because that parable of talents, I'm just saying like that's not going to go well. Right? Eagerly waiting requires some things of us, okay? And if you're, if you're not eagerly waiting, if you're not longing for his return, if you're not living for his return, the only appropriate response is repentance, to turn from that, right? To, to turn away from apathy or sin or whatever it is, like to turn away from that and to turn to Jesus, Okay, that's the only appropriate response this morning. And listen, there's, there's room for repentance here for all of us this morning. You know what it's like to prepare a message on being zealous for Jesus' return? It reveals some things about your own heart, I can tell you that. So there's room for repentance here for, for all of us this morning. And so here's, here's where I'd start. Okay, if, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you will not live for or long for someone that you have no relationship with. You just won't. Right? You, you can't will yourself into that. So to eagerly wait for Jesus' return, to live for and long for his return, begins with a relationship with Jesus. Okay, And, and some of these verses we've referenced, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, actually just before the verse we read earlier, According to Peter, at least one reason that Jesus has not returned is because he is ridiculously patient, giving you every opportunity to repent. Right? That, that's at least one of the reasons he hasn't returned yet. He doesn't owe you that. Gosh, he doesn't owe you anything. And yet in his grace and mercy and kindness, he's, he's withholding the fullness of wrath that will come to those who do not repent and turn and trust in Jesus. And so, man, I would implore you, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, or even if you're just like, I don't know, I've got questions, I'm not sure, I've got doubts, let, let's have a conversation about that. Because I'm telling you, like, one day the shot clock's going to hit zero. 
Whether you take your last breath or, or Jesus splits the sky open and he's like, here I am. Right, like that's, at that point, it's too late. So the invitation to you this morning, you've never done that, is to repent of your sin, to trust in Jesus. Would love to talk to you about that before you leave this morning, okay? But, but for those of us in the room that have done that, right, that have, have believed, okay? My prayer this morning, as I've prepared this week, my prayer from, for my own heart, my prayer for your heart, is that the eminence of Jesus' second coming it would stir us up to greater lives of holiness and godliness. And so what that means is, is even, if you're, even if you're a Christian here this morning, maybe there's room for you to repent of just apathy, right? Indifference. Right? The, the things of this world, not even necessarily negative things, but just the, the, the things of this world kind of take our eyes off of that which is eternal. Right, we get so consumed with the here and now that we, we just take our eyes off Jesus and, and what, the, like, what he's called us to, both in our lives, how we live, and also the, the mission that he's called us to. So maybe you need to repent of, of apathy or indifference about the things of the Lord. Maybe there's sin that needs to be confessed, repented of. Right, maybe there's indwelling sin that you're just hanging on to that you don't know how to let go of. Like, man, confession, repentance, in that this morning. Right? The, the first step to living a life of holiness and godliness is to repent and turn from sin. Maybe you need to commit yourself to a church family this morning. Um, right? I, I got away with this at Springfield because I get to say things and then walk away from there. Right? <laughs> but like for some, maybe it means stop treating churches like a buffet at Golden Corral and plant yourself somewhere. Grow. Get involved. Listen, you're never going to find the perfect church. And if you did, you would ruin it the day you showed up. Okay? So maybe for you, like, your step this morning is to commit yourselves to this local body of believers who are going to imperfectly encourage you and try to help you grow in holiness and godliness yourself. Okay? Now listen. Because I was like, I'm going to land the plane here, promise. I don't know when Jesus will return. Don't have a clue. Neither do you. Okay, but what I do know, without question, is that we are about 61 minutes closer right now than we were when you walked in here this morning. So we're, we're like an hour closer to that day. May we be found. May we be found on that day. If, if we're still here when Jesus splits the skies open and, and returns, may we be found as a people who are eagerly waiting for his return. Longing for his return. Living. For his return. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning, and um, I think sometimes this can feel heavy, like it's a heavy thing. And, and for some, Lord, maybe it is. Those that have not trusted in you, this should be a heavy thing. But 
For those of us that have, Lord, I pray that, that this would stir up our hearts to be encouraged. To know that, Lord, come what may in this life, that you are, you are going to come again to make all things right. That sin will be no more, and tears will be no more, and suffering will be no more, and struggles will be no more. Father, if, if nothing else, I pray our hearts would be encouraged by that this morning. But also pray that beyond that, you would make us a people who long for you. Like, I, I pray that you would make the things of this world that we are so tempted to latch onto and hold onto and, and love and give our effort and energy and attention to. I pray that you would make the, make the things of this world so dull, so lame and Boring compared to the promise of your presence. So, Father, would you stir our hearts to long for your coming? And then, Father, would you help us to live for your return? Would you help us to be a people who, who wait actively, not passively? Would you stir our hearts by the power of your Spirit, make us a people who who are, are diligent to pursue lives of holiness and godliness, who, who give ourselves to the things that your word commands us to give ourselves to, obedience to your word, to, to the good gift of the local church, to the mission of making disciples here, near, and far. Or would you help us to live for your coming? And the Father, where we have failed to do either of those things, where we have failed to long for you as we should, where we have failed to live for you as we should, would you reveal those things? Would you convict us by your Spirit? And would you reveal to us how, how you would have us to respond in repentance this morning? So Father, we trust that you are at work. We trust that when your word is open, it will not return void. And so there will be a response this morning to either soften our hearts and respond to your word or to harden our hearts against you. I, I pray that we would choose the former. I pray that we would. So Father, we pray. Uh, we ask all these things in the good name of Jesus. Amen.